Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name is Anna Johnston and our podcast shares the twists and turns of the career journeys of a wide range of women of Aotearoa. We hope that by listening to these stories that you'll feel inspired in your own career. Now today's episode is one of a special five-part mini-series that we're really proud to have developed in collaboration with Te Taurapa Tūhono, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. NZTE helps grow Kiwi companies internationally, bigger, better and faster, for the good of Aotearoa and the world. Each of these five podcast episodes brings you an inspiring story of women who've taken their Kiwi companies to the global stage. A big thank you to NZTE for their support to bring these stories to life. And if you'd like to find out more about NZTE and how they might help you grow your business, search online for NZTE Women in Export. We really hope you enjoy listening. And if you'd be interested in any leadership or career coaching to support your own career journey, drop us a line, hello at thefemalecareer.com. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Rebecca Pekaski and Kate Beza. Rebecca and Kate co-launched the Better Packaging Company in 2018, which has a mission to find the world's most sustainable packaging solutions. They've experienced phenomenal growth since launching and now export globally to over 50 countries. Kate studied chemistry and commerce originally and started her career in management consulting. She then founded, published and edited a quarterly magazine, Dumbo Feather in Australia, with a focus on social and environmental change makers, before then moving on to run her own marketing and communications consultancy. Kate's passionate about the circular economy and about innovative design solutions. Rebecca studied biochemistry originally. In the early years of her career, was spent working for companies such as IBM and Vodafone. Prior to founding the Better Packaging Company, Rebecca was the COO at Starship It, a cloud-based app designed to simplify shipping orders. In that role, she saw the amount of packaging waste generated by the growing e-commerce industry, and that helped spark the vision for the Better Packaging Company. Kia ora Kate, kia ora Rebecca, thank you for joining me today. Hi, uh, thank you for having us. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, Kate, could I start with you? Tell me a bit about the first few years of your career. What were some of the highlights, but also the challenges of that time? Uh, So I was hired straight out of university by a a management consulting firm called Booz Allen. Uh, They were a US-based company, but they um, hired me for their Australian operations. So I was overseas, sort of straight out of Dunedin. But ironically, the first client job that I was put on was Air New Zealand, so I ended up flying back here on a weekly basis. But it wasn't just Air New Zealand, it was Air New Zealand engineering. So it was very blokey. I was so fresh, you know, and still so young. Um, but, you know, I, I think all these sort of older engineering types saw me as quite a daughter figure. But I did some incredible work there. We went on this amazing worldwide trip to source engine parts. <laughs> and, and I got exposed to not only just through that project, but also subsequent projects. Um, you know, some, some incredible people, very high-level strategic thinking. And, and, you know, became comfortable in boardrooms at a really young age. So it, it was amazing. Uh, but, I mean, I was really an analyst. I was a spreadsheeting whiz. And I very much felt, after a couple of years of doing that, that while it was super challenging, and I did learn a lot, that, you know, I knew I was sort of checking my values at the door when I went to work. And I was certainly checking half 
at least half of myself, you know, all of my creativity. It certainly wasn't a job that I took my ideas and, and creativity and, and spark to work. I was I was there to do a, a pretty, I guess, dryish role. Yeah. So that was, that was my first experience out of university. Yeah, really interesting. And um, a lot of people say that about management consulting. It's a great kind of foundation. You get to see loads of different businesses, how they work, absolutely, to at a young age, potentially some quite challenging opportunities, but also sort of senior, as you said, in the boardroom. But at the same time, interesting then that you said, look, I sort of wasn't being able to bring my whole self to work in terms of my values and who I was. So I'm guessing part of that might have been the spark for you to create Dumbo Feather, you know, how did that come about? Yeah, very much so. So I I ended up leaving consulting and it, it was a little while between me leaving and then starting uh, my magazine. And during that time I really set about to try to figure out what it was that I wanted to do. I thought I might have wanted to design yachts. I did a short course in architecture in London. You know, I toyed with the idea of curating. At the time, as a management consultant, I was working most ridiculous hours during the week, but then volunteering at art galleries on the weekend you know that was where I got my sort of fix so you know I explored all sorts of things um, but then I walked into a news agent one night looking for something to read because I was, was house sitting a friend's house at the time and uh, it was the only place that was open and I just walked around and around in circles I couldn't find anything that I guess would I, w- I wanted to read about people who had found their passion and were being true to their values and and that that had worked out for them I literally walked out of that news agent and went right I'm going to make a magazine about that for people like me. And I think the the other thing that management consulting teaches you, or at least taught me, and I I think Vic would agree with this because she's got a similar background, is you're thrown into a brand new industry. You know, I worked in banks, I worked in airlines, I worked in mining, and very quickly you have to come up to speed and, and be an expert in that industry. And I think it taught me that no industry was rocket science, that the same fundamentals underpinned almost every business. And, you know, I believe that magazine publishing would be no different. And, in fact, I've always found that naivety, and I think we'd say the same thing about packaging, is actually a strength when you want to disrupt an entire industry and I you know I think my magazine was quite groundbreaking at the time because I had no preconceived ideas about what a magazine should or could be I really started from scratch mm, and as you said better to come and actually add that with a fresh perspective but also I've heard a few other people who've launched their own business talk about that naivety being a good thing because you don't know quite perhaps how hard it's going to be um, but you, you know you just get on and do it mm, very much so and um, Rebecca, what about you? Tell me about the first few years of, of your career. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, interestingly enough, I started out as a software developer uh, for a tech company that was a New Zealand tech company that was growing into the US at a at a astronomical rate. But I very quickly moved into management and project management, uh, and that. That was sort of where my passion lie, was making things happen and getting things done. So I really enjoyed that side of the business. And similar to Kate, ended up working in management consulting for companies like HP and IBM, but from a tech perspective. And as Kate was mentioning, you do, you just get thrown into all of these different types of businesses and are given a project to do. And what I realised is, 
you know, every project is the same really. It has a start and an end and you've got to make things happen in between uh, and, and communicate those out to people and it's, it's a lot about communication. So it was a really incredible foundation to my career. I really struggled with the corporate structure of it though. I'm from a family of entrepreneurs and rule breakers and people who are always looking for the easy way to do things. And so getting into those really corporate businesses, especially IBM, who were incredibly good to their staff. Like they, they treated their staff incredibly well and they had people there who'd been there for 30 years, but it just it didn't suit my nature because I sort of wanted to break down the wall. And, and change things. So I always knew that corporate wasn't going to be a long-term thing for me. And so that's why I sort of branched out and co-founded Starship, which was a tech company. But similar to Kate, I was sort of one of, quite often, there's a lot of men, there were a lot of men in technology, so more often than not, I was the only woman in the room, and quite often my team would be fully, would just be all guys, and so I really learned how to work in that environment, uh, and, and not let it bother me, or let it stop what I wanted to achieve. Mm. And what helped you in that? Because it's a question that I very often get asked from from women. Because although, yes, things have changed, still if you go into, whether it's mining or construction or even agriculture, we're still a bit in technology these days, infrastructure, they are still quite heavily male-dominated. What worked for you, Rebecca, in those scenarios? Yeah, I, I think it comes back to that naivety. I didn't really see gender as an issue ever and I I grew up with I've got three sisters and a brother and I have a really strong mother (laughs) and a dad who treated us all the same and so I think I was really brought up to not really see gender as an issue and so when I went into those environments I didn't let it be an issue for me and I think in retrospect I was actually quite naive but it worked for me and so I just went, went in there and owned the space that I was in and that seemed to work and I think Kate you've had a similar experience in Mm. that we've never really felt that our gender has stopped us from getting anywhere to date probably because of that naivety I I guess so and I don't think I think I I think we've both been quite lucky I don't think we've well I, I know I certainly haven't ever had an overt circumstance in which my gender has been an issue or I mean you know I do remember one of the partners at Booz Allen joking about you know I, I had I always pushed the boundaries of what was acceptable office wear <laughs> and you know in terms of you know I had these beautiful Italian grey heels leather heels a light sort of grey and I remember one of the partners joking that I was wearing bowling shoes to work or something that was my stunning yeah. shoes um, and there was a little bit of that but I just, I just ignored it yeah, I'm, we've had a similar experience on that, but I'm, you know, I'm incredibly grateful for the way that I was brought up and that foundation that my parents gave me. Like, we all mowed the lawns and we all folded the washing and bought the washing in, and I think that was pretty unique. And I know that not everyone has that experience, and so I'm very aware that they don't. And so, Kat and I are very pro supporting women in their careers, and you know, we've got a predominantly female team uh, and we really want to help people who haven't had that same advantage and so we're very aware of that fact that we're incredibly privileged in that respect. Mm, 
and that's really nice to hear as you said that now in your roles you're able to help and support actually other women as well which is brilliant and I think there's something in there about you know gender equality often enough it starts in the home in terms of the way that we're brought up and the role models that we have but also that both of those that the way that people cope in those situations there's not kind of one right way you know sometimes it's it's helpful to just ignore things that happen and get on with it sometimes it's helpful to go right I'm just going to come in and own this space like you know each of you talked about there's a finding a way in that that works for you I'd love to hear then you know how did the idea for the better packaging company come about Oh, it's like any great things, I think it was a combination of a whole lot of things happening all at once. But as you mentioned, I was working at Starship It um, when I co-founded that and was CEO there. And that is a tech company that sits between the e-commerce merchants and the career companies. So a long time ago when we set out about 10, 11 years ago, you had to manually do that integration when an order was created and Starship automated all of that process. So it would take the order information and create a label and send out the tracking. And it was the first of its kind in this area, in this part of the world. And we were looking at service and value adds that we could give to our customers, so e-commerce merchants, and we we talked about creating packaging. And I actually I can still remember up to the day exactly where I was standing. I was like, no, there's just no way I can be involved in this. You know, I just I cannot bring any more plastic into this world. I just can't be associated with that. And at that stage, e-commerce was growing. It's been doubling every two years, I believe, and it's, it's growing even more now with COVID. And I think I just planted a seed. I think someone might have even challenged me to, you know, do something about it at the time. <laughs> and, you know, and I knew that I wanted to actually set up another business and for that to be in the sustainability space. But interestingly enough, at the same time, my beautiful daughter, who was seven, was doing her project a school project on how to save the world and she came up with this idea and I always feel a bit embarrassed because I feel like sometimes we I'm brainwashing my kids to be more sustainable <laughs> so when they come home and they say they're going to do a project on sustainability I sort of go oh god the teachers are going to think this is all me <laughs> uh, and and she had you know she wrote this really gorgeous list of everything that she needed to do and it was simple things like walking to school and turning off light switches and I think it really just did something to me I, I was really inspired to act and I knew that I had to make change because you know if she was worried about this issue and I didn't do something about it then who am I as a mother so that night I wrote up a list and there were five things on that list and make a more sustainable career satchel was one of them and in parallel to that I'd always sort of threatened Kate that if I was going to start my own business or another business that I'd want to only want to do it with her because we'd worked together in the past and, and been incredibly successful. And so I sort of approached her with this crazy idea and the rest is history. That's great. Kate, what was it about that crazy idea that then got you on board? Well, I, I think, you know, I'm very much someone who's driven by my values and it was immediately values aligned. Uh, but I could also see the potential for it. I knew it could be a a great idea and, and, you know for a number of reasons so I'd had this first hand experience of, of with my magazine trying to figure out how to send it out to subscribers and the general 
way it was done in magazines was to put it in one of those clear plastic wraps, which I'd refused at the time, and instead had spent a small fortune buying 100% recycled paper envelopes and hand stuffing every magazine. You know, get teams of people to help me stuff magazines into envelopes. So I knew from a business owner's perspective that it, it was a real thing, you know, this desire to move away from, from plastic and find a better alternative for sending things. Then as a consumer, I'd also experienced, I think also living on Waiheke, you know, you do have to buy a lot of things online because the shopping there is so limited. And I'd experienced, you know, all everyone has the, the thrill of something turning up on the doorstep, you know, you're whatever you've ordered and that's all fun and exciting and then there's this kind of downer that happens afterwards when you look at all the bubble wrap and the air pillows and the um, polystyrene beads or whatever the heck it's been packaged in and it's just like oh what do I do with all this now you know and so I could just I just knew that it, it would have this amazing potential and I, I also think in retrospect that side of packaging, that e-commerce packaging, the poly mailers, it had not, it was ripe for dis- disruption. I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit here now, but you know, it was literally, there's, you know, nothing had been done in that area in terms of sustainability or even design-wise for a very, very long time. Mm. And really interesting, the kind of different ways that you've both come at it. I can absolutely appreciate that. I like the way you talked about something exciting arrives and then that downer of going, what on earth do I do with the packaging? Absolutely. I'm particularly like a busy working mum do quite a bit of online shopping if we need something in the household and yet they definitely feel that. So, um, yes, super interesting. And then from what I understand in terms of launching the company, like there was quite a lot of research and development for for, for quite a long period of time. But then when it launched, like it went kaboom, kind of in terms of real customer demand. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, it was uh, it was received really incredibly well, and where there's quite a funny story where we we put an order in our first order in, and I think it was around fifty thousand bags, and it's like ten thousand and five sizes, and we were so impatient to get it started. Well, I like, know I was um, because we had, as you said, we'd done sort of over eighteen months research and design, and there'd been quite a few false starts, and so I decided to place a Google ad and just to see if we could get some traction or, you know, just to see if there was actually going to be demand for it because we'd, we'd put our own money into it and it was a bit, it was scary mm. and exciting and boom, Kate called me up and she was like, what have you done? <laughs> We've had our first inquiry. Um, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I've put an ad up. And she's like, well, take it down. We're not ready because they were just, these inquiries were just coming in one after the other. And what we, and, and some really big names. Um, there was a customer in there who was inquiring about 500,000 500, units. <laughs> and we just weren't ready that, it, you know, the, our customers were, people were looking for it. And so in those early days, I was, we were calling every single one of them and sort of having these one-hour conversations. <laughs> it was quite gorgeous, these really in-depth conversations with people. And some of these people had been searching and they were looking every week, literally going and searching for sustainable career satchel. And then when we popped up with this ad, we were just inundated with inquiries. And I think that just set the tone of the whole business because it was game on from that point in time. Uh, that first run that we ordered sold out within weeks and we doubled it and then that sold out within weeks. And, you know, we just we just kept doubling our orders and it's been the most exciting ride. 
Yeah, amazing. And you know you've got a viable business when customers want it, ask for it, you know, sort of saying how can we get more? That's a great kind of early, early sign. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the Better Packaging Company. What's it all about? Well, I think as, as we've spoken about, the, the impetus at the, at the beginning was very much to try to find a lower impact way to, to package e-commerce orders and, and apparel and find a way to do this and make less harm. That was kind of where we were coming from. And so we launched with Home Compostable, Korea Satchel, we called it a real dirt bag. Uh, we loved the idea that people could dispose of it in their own backyards and that, you know, fundamentally it, it wasn't going to you know, break down to microplastics or anything nasty. So that was where we started and, and that was the sort of the hero product that was super successful and we've expanded that range and it's now padded mailers and tape and labels, Ziploc bags, all, all that kind of thing. But about 18 months ago, possibly even longer now, we decided, you know, our, our, we're the better packaging company and, and that's embedded in our name and it's embedded in our mission is to continually look for, for better alternatives and we sat down as a team and really went back to the drawing board and said, look, if we weren't invested in this you know, particular type of material, if, if we could use anything we wanted to and make it in any kind of way, what would be the, the most sustainable, best option? And where we came to out of that, that incredible session was we decided to explore the idea of making packaging out of waste. And not even waste, but could we actually do it out of pollution? And and we have. <laughs> uh, so it's taken a whole heap of R&D, but we are now using ocean-bound plastic pollution to make packaging. We recycle it into mailers and poly bags. They're 100% plastic pollution that we collect off beaches and throughout waterways throughout Southeast Asia. And it's a shift for us because it's no longer about making packaging that does less bad but now it's about making packaging that actually does a ton of good like we're literally solving a pollution problem and also we're working on a on a social level with communities and and really uplifting uh, frontline communities out of poverty because it's in those kind of communities where the biggest problems are so poverty and pollution tend to be intrinsically linked and so by working with these communities that literally have no waste management infrastructure paying local people to collect plastic pollution on our behalf um, we're actually raising their standard of living and in cleaning up the environment around them so this is this is the direction where we're heading in it's super exciting and the response again has been extraordinary from from companies and from anyone really that we talk to about it I can imagine and how interesting to see that shift is how your business changes over time but also you know, versus that kind of corporate backgrounds that maybe you've come from where things it's harder to shift in a big big company actually in a business that you run yourself actually you can make those pivots and those shifts not easily but you can you can make those choices more, more easily. I'd love to hear a bit about your journey to exporting you know how did from a company that was founded here in Aotearoa how did the journey 
journey, the conversations to kind of go global come about? I blame that on Beck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, both Kate and I had a lot of connections in Australia. So uh, when I was working at Starship Hut, a lot of our business was happening in Australia. So I was sort of travelling to there every month or so. And obviously Kate had founded her magazine there. And so for us, Australia was always a really logical step to launch this product. And we, with those connections that we already had, we've sort of reached out to a, a number of businesses and people that we'd worked with in the past, and that really helped get the product off the ground. So Australia, right from the beginning, was our fastest-growing market, and it's still about 65%, 65% mm. of, our, of our business. And New Zealand is about 8% of our whole business. Uh, so we are a really global company. We've got 92% of our growth was happening outside of New Zealand so that really that was the beginning but what we found is we were connecting brands from all over the world found us really quickly and I think it goes back to that fact that people were looking for these solutions and no one was providing them and from those very early days we had brands like L'Oreal um, DHL we were speaking to Ripkill which is a global brand and so we would start by quite often speaking to their Australian arm and then they'd say to us hey are you shipping in the US or are you shipping from China and we were like sure <laughs> even though we possibly weren't and we'd quickly behind the scenes try and set something up and we're so very good at faking it to make it. <laughs> it's kind of our motto and I think from day one, it was just there was no real discussion. It was a global business, but it also came back to our values. And so, when we had those first responses to that Google AdWord that we placed, what we realised is that everybody wanted access to sustainable packaging. And originally, our business model was very much focused on servicing large customers like the likes of New Zealand Post, uh, Australia Post, that's where we thought, the iconic, those Mm. sorts of brands. And when we started listening to those customers who were replying to our AdWord, we realised that there were a lot of small to medium businesses who wanted access to sustainable packaging, but they couldn't afford the minimum order quantities because they were really large. We're talking sort of 50,000 units. And so Kat and I made this really quick on-the-run decision to create our own better packaging range and we would sell it in units of 20 to customers who couldn't afford those really large MOQs but who still wanted access to sustainable packaging. And the reason we did that is one part of our mission in those early days was to make it accessible and affordable to businesses of all sizes. And I still remember, like, we, we talked about it at the time and we were like, oh, we'll create an e-commerce store. And both of us were like, oh, no, <laughs> we don't want to be doing this. Uh, and I think the idea at that stage was for me to fulfill it out of my garage. <laughs> and we were really seeing it as a value add and a service add and we didn't actually think it would make any money for us. But it, it became the fastest growing side of our business in the early days. And what we hadn't bargained on was that, our bags with a little bit of humour because they were beautiful and they had that funny branding of I'm a real dirtbag were getting into hands of all of these people around the world and they were acting as a flyer and so inadvertently by doing that right thing and servicing those customers we'd created this really viral marketing campaign and we had companies coming to us whose daughter had received a bikini on one of our bags and wanted to have a conversation and so it really Mm. it really 
endeared us to a global audience and it really helped with that global growth as well. Yeah. I think what we did was we started in Auckland and we said, look, you know, wants to buy a packaging from anywhere, yeah. we'll just we'll find a way to get it to them. And, you know, we had shipping costs and the website and so on. But what we what we did is we waited until we saw a level of demand in a location that would warrant us setting up warehousing and um, holding inventory there. And so Australia was that first place that we set up a 3PL. And then so we've now got six throughout the world so to service different markets. So we have one in the US, uh, we have one in the UK, Okay, we have one in China and we have one in the Netherlands and one in New Zealand obviously so that's sort of how we sort of managed to service a market until we can see that there's enough demand there and then we set up there internally and, and fulfil from that location. Mm, and when you say a 3PL, just let me, me check for my understanding, it's uh, it's like some somebody else holds the inventory for you, how does that work? It's a called a third party logistics and so what we did from the really early stages is we tried to outsource as much as possible so that when we scaled, A, it didn't cost us a lot of money, but it could be, and it was also really quick and easy uh, and so we've partnered with third party logistics in those areas and we created a technology stack that was all software as a service, all integrated and automated and that enabled all of this kind of to happen magically behind the scenes so we didn't really need that huge footprint of resources mm, Super and when you think about that exporting journey you know what have been some of your learnings from it are there any things you think yep now that or are there any things you think oh I wish we'd done that differently now looking back at it yeah look we've learned so much I feel like we learn every day and one of the most important things that I think we've done quite well which I probably wasn't very good at in the early days was being okay with making mistakes and learning to sort of lean into those mistakes in the early days when something would go wrong we'd, it would knock us down quite a bit and, it, and now we sort of have it on a daily basis and you just go right what are we going to learn from this this is exciting we're going to grow from it and I think we've really really done that but I'm trying to think of some of the mistakes we've made well one of the biggest mistakes was really early on we had um, we had this really tiny <laughs> office with we what do you call it when you, what do we kind of, um, we were subleasing it from another company and we had a tiny piece of space and when we got, when we, I think it was about our third or fourth order and by then we tripled or quadrupled it and I didn't really, I underestimated how much three tons of product would be and it arrived on our doorstep at 7am and we had to get it up four flights of stairs. <laughs> Before nine o'clock, and so no one would see it. So no one would see how much we, we were meant to be running a logistics operation from out of, out of our shared space. Uh, and so I think I learned very quickly that three tons is quite a lot of quite a lot of product, and yeah, took quite a lot of energy to get it up there. Yeah, great story. That's the size of a small elephant, I think, if you think about it. <laughs> Trying to get that by out. the time Kate arrived into the office, I literally could not move. I was. <laughs> So broken. <laughs> Sometimes it's good living on Waikiki, not quite on course stuff like that. Uh, absolutely. What do you think, uh, what support has really helped you along the way in terms of your export journey? Oh, NZT. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't think Phenomenal. I could ever underestimate how how incredible they've been for our business and on so many different levels. Um, 
we, yeah, we, we were told, we got some really great advice early on um, from someone from NZTE and they said, look, really, really treat it like an extension of your business and really work as, as a partnership. And so our first account man, manager, Kimberly, and then Estelle, you know, we really work with them as, you know, as extensions of our business. And they even had someone placed... So Anna, in the really early days, was placed in our business for six months and worked as another team mm. member with us. We seconded which, her into the business, which was just absolutely insane. But they've, you know, we've used their, you know, they have this web of experts in everything from accounting and certain geographies to um, inventory management and other, you know, or, you know, we've they've put us in touch with, yeah, and, and on, in my side of business, experts in content management and marketing, selling through marketplaces, you name it. They've got someone who knows their area inside out on a geographic basis. And so we've tapped into their, they call them beachhead advisors. Um, we've used a lot of them. Even, even to the point when we couldn't travel and we were trying to look into a new supplier in Vietnam, two of the team in Vietnam went and visited with that supplier <laughs> at the meeting. To the team. You know, did that due diligence, the kind of due diligence that we would usually do in person, but we couldn't because of COVID. Mm. Uh, so it's just been phenomenal. Yeah. And then we're raising at the moment, we're raising a Series A investment round, uh, and they've got a whole investment side of the business, which has been incredible. Mm. But then we've also connected in with the CEO network, been incredibly supportive, the Cartier Women's Initiative, mm-hmm. uh, Elemental Accelerator is another group. We really have leaned into everything that's been available to us and it's really worked. It's been it's been amazing. Yeah, wonderful. And those different sources of support as well, you know, NZTF providing, she said, whether it's marketing or on the ground or investment or even, she said, secondment kind of support. But the, you know, CEO of the Cartier piece, providing probably, yes, some funding, but also a really supportive global network of other women to, to help support your business as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. We, I think we realised early on that we don't have to do this alone. And because because we try to make as much impact as quickly as possible we really need to lean into all of the help that's available because this is it's not it's a human problem and we all need to be on board to solve it Mm, I like that you say we don't need to do it alone and that's sometimes quite a hard lesson I think when you're running your own business you sort of think oh if anyone's got to do it I've I've got to do it myself but actually reaching out and going there's huge other networks who can help me it's a great lesson what do you love today about your current work? Maybe Kate, can I start with you? What do you love today about about your work? I think I, I mean, I, I love the fundamental premise behind what we're doing. I am so proud of of what we do and why, uh, and so that makes it very easy to go to work every day. Uh, but I also just love the variety, and there's you know never two days the same. Uh, you know, I've just been hiring someone recently and I often get asked by prospective employees what a typical day entails and I, I cannot, I can hardly answer that question, particularly in my area of the business. But, you know, it's it's a it's a roller coaster. There are certainly dips, but the highs are extraordinary as well and I, I love sharing that journey with Beck. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've done it by myself before and it's... It, it's 
really quite different thing. It was someone else sharing the highs and the lows. Uh, makes it a very different beast. Mm, I can imagine. Beck, what about you? What do you really love about your work? Oh, so much. I, I really love the product that we've created, so this plastic product. And I say this so many times, but every time I hold one and I think this this plastic would be in a beach or a waterway or in the ocean if it wasn't for the work that we're doing. That just makes it all real for me. So I'm super proud of what we've achieved with that product. And it, it's a world first, and I think it's really going to disrupt the, the packaging industry. I love the fact that we learn every day, and we are. We're constantly learning, and that growth and getting to know more about myself as we grow the team and become a manager and I'm sort of leaning into parts of the business now that in the past I would have avoided and so there's quite a lot of growth happening with that which is really super exciting. I really love our team which is really really cool but I also just love business. I love having a business and being competitive and I really believe with a sustainable business you can have it all. You know we've got this really neat competitive businesses doing really well and then on the flip side we've created this incredible product and we're making a whole lot of impact and in the past the impact side probably would have been a charity but we've been able to mash them all together and do it all and I, I really feel like we have it all. Mm, and I think that's great to see more and more businesses absolutely but you know being sustainable doesn't mean you're a charity absolutely there's there's value in that and you're able to create a, a business out of it as well. You talked then a little bit both of you kind of about working together how do you decide who does what how does it work working together? That's so funny we get asked that question a lot and in the early days it was we sort of got quite surprised by it because it for us it's just so natural and organic how it happens we right from the beginning we knew exactly what the other one would do and we've got a very very similar values base but very complementary skill set uh and so yeah how would you describe well i joke that i joke that i'm responsible for um making things look and sound good (laughs) and then beck just makes everything else happen um but i'm I'm more responsible for yeah our branding and how how we talk and represent ourselves externally, whether that's through the website, on social media, on our products, how they're designed, how they look and feel. Uh, and then Beck, and she has this extraordinary project management background, and she she just she makes SHIT happen. Like she just. <laughs> She really does, and she's extraordinary at keeping the wheels moving and keeping the team motivated and knowing their goals and, and what we need to be doing when we're and how and why. We do all of the strategy together, so we yeah, we, the big we, stuff. We agree all the sort of the big picture and the concept, and so we might go right. Plastics a perfect example. You know, we might go right. We're going to develop this product, and then one of us goes off and, and makes it happen. But we mm. come together for everything. Mm. Mm. And I like that sort of almost alignment on values as you said as well as strategy but really complementary skill sets that's nice and what if you look back at your career to date what have been some of the proudest moments in your career developing this product I think yeah launching Palastic uh, nothing nothing will ever top that and Kate's sort of talked about this, this this movement from doing less bad to actually products that make a whole lot of 
positive impact. And if we can do that with every product in the world, like there's no excuses anymore. We've shown that we can do it. Everybody needs to be doing it. So I think that's definitely my my proudest moment. And it's something that I can generally, you know, go back to my children and say that we've mm. we've made the right impact. Mm. What about you, Kate? Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm still extremely proud of what I achieved with Dumbo Feather. I think that, you know, as a 27, 28-year-old to, to launch a magazine in Australia was pretty amazing, and I'm still incredibly proud of, of how uh, how that magazine was made and what it stood for and its values, and it's still going today, which I, I think is really neat too. Uh, but, yeah, launching packaging made from 100% plastic pollution that's the first of its kind in the world and the potential impact that it could make is yeah it's certainly up there yeah I can imagine and as you said, whether it is done by Feather or whether it's the better packaging company and the, the choices you're making today, they all take a lot of bravery and courage to step into those spaces too, which I think is awesome. Now, no career is easy. There may have also been some kind of tough times as you went along the way. And I think, you know, I'm really conscious as part of this podcast, I didn't want to necessarily just do a kind of, you know, shiny version of what people's lives and careers look like. Are there any kind of tough career or business moments that you'd be that you'd be happy to share? I- Absolutely. I think for me, the hardest moment that we've had is, well, it was, a, it was a whole month, and we actually call it Stoptober, uh, but going into peak season, I think it would have been 18 months ago now, we realised through a whole lot of different circumstances that probably over 80% of our stock wasn't usable. And just to give you an understanding of how, how big peak season is, it's usually about three times the sales over that sort of October, November, December period compared to the rest of the year. So it's it's a really important time for us, uh, and and just having that understanding that we we didn't have the stock that we needed to sell, and and most of that was through my own fault. Uh, yeah, it was a really, really tough time. And I, I remember walking home on that Friday night. It sort of all unfolded over that week. And I decided to walk home because I was so depressed. It took me about an hour and a half to get home. <laughs> it's a walk that usually takes about 30 minutes. Uh, and I went home and drank a couple of bottles of wine, I think. <laughs> and put myself to bed or Harvey put me to bed. And, and then that next morning I was like, right. It wasn't actually about how we get out of this mess. It was more about how we never would get into that mess again and that we learned some big lessons yeah we learned some really really large lessons and so on that Monday morning when we went back to the team we were like right how are we not going to let this happen again and we sort of held on to that as we went through that that next month which was probably one of the hardest months of work I've ever had in my whole career Uh, it's just incredibly tough Mm -hmm. it does sound really tough what about you Kate anything you'd be happy to share Uh, well October wasn't wasn't fun for anyone on the team. It was pretty gnarly. Uh, I think, you know, Beck and I haven't spoken yet about the fact that we're both mothers of three, so we've got six kids between us. And the juggle is real. And so some of the hardest times are when you're having to make compromises for your family, to your family life, for your business. And... It's, it's tough, it 
never sits well with me. It is certainly helped by the fact that I truly believe in making a better world for my children. But they don't necessarily understand that when, you know, mum's not home till X time at night because, you know, or I've got to work later, I just have to ignore them for, you know, hours on end for whatever reason. So I think that's an overarching layer that certainly uh, we have to, yeah, isn't, isn't that much fun. Yeah, and I really don't think that we, we've set up the school system either to support that no. uh, and I think you know my kids have got two half days at school next week <laughs> and it's the mums who are picking up mm. who pick up that slack uh, and so you you either get a nanny to come in and help or you take two half days off work and neither one of those options Right. Like you're, you're letting someone down, you're either letting your business down or you're letting your kids down. Uh, and so, as Kate said, you know, you're constantly making this choice between two things that you love and that you're passionate about. It's really tough. Yeah, it's really tough. And I'm I'm a mum of three as well. So there's nine children between us here today. But absolutely, I can relate to, to that feeling of when you're running your own, when you're running a business or even if you're, whatever kind of career you're doing that, that, as you say, the juggle is very real. One last question I'd have for you both is what career advice would you give to other women? Oh, that's easy for me. What is it? <laughs> uh, it's follow, your, follow your values. Do stuff that, you know, resonates with you, that makes you sing in the morning that you absolutely love and it sounds a bit naff but I've been in a place where I wasn't living my values through work and it's a completely different thing to be doing work that is true to your values and it makes you know A I think you're a far better worker and person because of it but it just makes life that much more fun and rewarding. Yeah great advice Kate what about you Rebecca? Well, I do agree with what Kate said. I also think that your journey starts now. Uh, No matter where you are or what you're doing, every job that I've done Mm. in the past has helped me. Uh, And I sort of talk about when I was traveling around the world, I waited tables in Vail, Colorado. And in America, you get paid for tips. And I learned so much about customer service because I was rewarded to show great customer service. And I think that customer service mentality is massive for me and we've really implemented that in our business. And I think every experience matters and I think you've got to take every job that you do and do it to the best of your ability but know that you'll learn something out of it regardless of whether it's waiting tables or nannying children or whatever it is you do all the way through your career uh, it, it lays that foundation for what will come yeah and it might not make sense you know yeah. if you look back on what uh, both of us have had such sort of zigzag <laughs> weird you know both of us studied science at university but it doesn't it doesn't kind of doesn't matter. It feels and it's still kind of fatalist. It's all sort of meant to be. It, it all takes you to where you're meant to be going. And when I look back, it all makes sense. Mm. But at the time, you know, I remember feeling a bit lost and thinking, where the hell am I going? And this isn't a career, you know. Yeah. And I think even working in the corporate, which I really struggled against, I use those skills every day. Yeah. It means I can talk to anybody because I've spoken at that corporate level all the way through. through. So I think it it all matters, uh, and that would be my advice, is to take every experience. It's all valuable. Mm. 
Yeah, great advice. And I think that's absolutely true that every piece of your career starts to come together almost as a jigsaw that, that makes you stronger. And you're able to then absolutely, I can imagine you're applying both of you, all the skills that you've gathered up over your career now into the Better Packaging Company. Well, thank you so much to you both for telling your career stories, your export journey, your journey to ultimately make the world a better place as well. Really appreciate you taking the time today. Pleasure. Thank yes. you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Female Career Podcast. And I really hope that this story has inspired you in your own career journey. A big thank you again to NZTE for their support to bring to life this story of a woman going global. If you'd like to find out more about NZTE and the support they offer to help Kiwi companies grow internationally, then search online for NZTE Women in Export. And if you'd like to find out more about the leadership and career coaching that we offer at the Female Career, or if you'd like to book in a free introductory coaching session, send us an email, hello at thefemalecareer.com. Ka kite. Thank you.